Welcome to the Mom Manual. Motherhood doesn't come with instructions, but it should. We are on a mission to highlight ordinary moms doing extraordinary things to build the ultimate mom manual. Every week, I have the distinct honor of speaking with women about the lessons they've learned and the inspiration that got them to where they are today. Join us for a conversation that will spark creativity, provide actionable tips, and celebrate the ordinary and extraordinary moments of motherhood. The Mom Manual starts now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mom Manual. Tara Williams here today with another amazing guest. Today, I have Dr. Angel Monford. She is a licensed clinical psychologist, a mother of four, and the founder of the Center for Maternal Mental Health. This is a therapy practice dedicated to serving women throughout all stages of motherhood. Dr. Angel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. You are so welcome. And for anyone listening, she told me she's nervous. And I said, do not be nervous. We are just talking (laughs) and chatting and giving you guys some amazing advice. So Dr. Angel, tell us, these are some amazing designations and you have your own center. Can you give us a little background on how you got into this? Sure. So I'm a psychologist. I started my training within the Department of Veteran Affairs, so the VA, and I worked within hospital settings for a long time. Of course, the population there is mostly male. However, I always found a way to be working with women and to either be in the women's center or to work with military sexual trauma and just noticed over time working in those clinics that the presentation I was seeing of depression, anxiety in pregnancy and postpartum was just a lot different than what I was used to seeing in the more general population. And so I went to get more training just because I felt that there was something missing. There was a little bit of a gap between what I learned in graduate school and what I was actually seeing in front of me in the pregnant and postpartum women. So I went and I did postpartum support internationals training. And then I did Karen Kleiman's training as well and just soaked up, read and, and Googled and everything, all the podcasts, all of the things to learn everything that I could and just realized that, wow, there's a lot missing in terms of what's offered even in some mental health um, facilities around postpartum care. So that's kind of how I got into that. Really, it was my clients first. At that time, I had already had my children. And so um, I can't even say that I I wish I had known all these things when I was going through postpartum, but it wasn't until after that I got this additional training. And so then I really felt like I just have to tell everybody that I know everything that I have learned because it was so, it was so mind blowing to me. It was very eye opening and it was very healing and validating to know that there are a lot of struggles. There are a lot of people who struggle with postpartum distress and the things that can be done about it. And so it's also pretty empowering. And now I get to do it all the time in my practice. I love that. And what year did you open your clinic? It too, 2018, actually. Yeah. I think it's always really important to bring that up because it feels to me from just being a person with friends and knowing myself and seeing what's on social media, but particularly having this podcast, the mental health is brought so much to the forefront and particularly after COVID, right? Where Mm -hmm. it was something that previously people were, especially postpartum, were struggling in silence. We're not talking about it. There wasn't really resources for it, but it's really exciting to see because it affects so many women. I think that's the big thing we don't realize. Everybody Mm -hmm. thinks it's only me. And now these conversations are bringing it forward that it is, I mean, do you have any stats on how many women it does affect? Yeah. I mean, it affects, so postpartum and perinatal distress 
affects approximately 15 to 21% of, of moms. Yeah. And that's a really significant figure because when you look at other complications of childbirth, such as like preeclampsia yeah. or gestational diabetes, those numbers are around six to 8% in terms of prevalence. But we, you know, we talk about it all the time at our appointments. Um, it's just kind of a known thing. You might experience this if you experience a pregnancy yeah. and yet, you know, the prevalence for perinatal mood and anxiety disorders is double that. And that's that glucose, the glucose test, right? Isn't that? Yeah. yeah. And that's orange, horrible drink that you go in for you right. know, 30 weeks or 20 weeks or whatever weeks. Uh, yeah. And no, when I was pregnant, I also have four children. I'm born in 2012, 2013, 2015, 2018. Never, not one conversation did I ever have with anybody about mental health. Not once. Wow. I mean, they wow. said at my six week check, how are you? Um, I'm tired. Okay, great. See ya. Like that was it. I mean, nobody brought it up. So I love that you're doing this work and this clinic. And today we're going to kind of break down a few of these different topics. So what, what do you want to start with? So I think let's start there. You know, that that is probably one of the biggest areas of misinformation that I think I see is around not knowing just how often this is happening. And so we just talked about it's, you know, 15 to 20% as much as one in five. And that's a lot of us who are experiencing that. Um, and if we don't know that, then a lot of times, if you start to experience, you know, profound sadness, or you're having difficulty connecting with your baby or with your emotions, and you're having trouble getting through the day and all of these things, and you're thinking, well, no, this is just probably a normal part of pregnancy, or this is just the baby blues. If you don't have enough information about how often significant mood disorders do occur, then you may start to either think that that's not what's happening and dismiss it, or to think that something is wrong with me and I'm abnormal, as opposed to this is a common complication of childbirth and pregnancy. This is something that happens. Yeah. And I do think there's, there's that distinction, right? Between I'm just exhausted. I have a newborn. I just had a baby. My hormones are going crazy. I'm trying to breastfeed. It's frustrating. You know, what, what is the kind of for anyone who's listening that says, yeah, 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 that's me. But what is the tip where you're saying, no, this is something more now you're, you've gone into a diagnosed anxiety and depression because of this. Like what are some of the signs or things people should really think about? So first I would say timing. If you are within the first three weeks, let's say after delivery, after childbirth, then what you're experiencing could be related to just adjustment to hormones fluctuating. And it could be more, it could fall under the umbrella of the baby blues. So you're having moments of sadness and frustration, maybe tearfulness and even mood shifts, but there are moments of joy as well. And you're able to function pretty well after that point. So for example, if you're now, you know, four weeks, two months, postpartum and you're still experiencing those symptoms or are they getting more and more intense? So we really look at intensity, how much yeah. it's bothering you, how much it impedes your ability to get through your day and how much it interferes with your sense of self. So even if you're just feeling like, I don't feel like myself, this is just yeah. not me. I don't feel okay. Something feels off. That's something that's enough by itself. But then if you're experiencing whatever symptoms, so we talked about some of the tearfulness or sadness or if you're feeling hopeless or you're having trouble even enjoying things that you used to really love. Yeah. If that's happening often, so that's the frequency. If it's happening multiple times throughout the day, if it's happening multiple days in a row, 
even through a two week period, if you're experiencing this more than half of the time, more than 50% of the time, then that will cross the threshold for what we would look at clinically in terms of making a diagnosis. And really, if it's impacting all of those things kind of go together, the frequency, duration, intensity to to impact your functioning and your general ability to live your life the way that you want to and to enjoy it, to care for yourself, to care for your baby. So if you're noticing that that part is off, then that's a really good indicator that there's something clinically significant here that we want to look at. There's a, there's a whole scale of this, right? I mean, you can go from having thoughts that are so bad to hurting your baby to just thoughts more of, I don't want to be around my baby, right? don't want to hurt the yeah. baby. I just don't want to be around them. So where on that scale do you then say I need either, and maybe what are the options? Is it medication? Is it meeting with a counselor? Like what do all those things kind of look like? Oh, this is a great question because there is a I know, lot. It's heavy. This is a heavy, this is a heavy conversation. And, and I do want to give kind of a disclaimer that this we're, you know, we are going to be talking about heavy stuff. So if this is a trigger for anybody, maybe they should not continue listening. I don't, I don't know if that's an appropriate disclaimer, but I'm just thinking about that uh, incident or tragedy that happened in Massachusetts, you know, a month or two back, which I'm sure you heard about in this. Um, That's very, very triggering for a lot of people. But yes, please continue. So no, that's a great point. And I think you you know your the listeners, you know yourself. So if there's something that you feel is just a little bit too much, feel free to either pause and come back or fast forward or just leave all together because you have to protect your own self here. But yes, you're right. It is a spectrum in terms of the thoughts, the types of thoughts that we can have. There's often a prominent feature of anxiety, even in, for example, postpartum depression. There's often a lot of of worry about the safety of the baby, the health of the baby. And some of that also, of course, is normative. If you're a new parent, you're going to also be worried about your baby. But again, we go back to if it's infecting your ability to get through the day and it's affecting your sense of self and it feels, you know, we... I really never, even as a clinician, I don't like to discount our own intuition. We know when something's off. We know, you know, if I know I'm typically a pretty anxious person, I'm going to, I'm probably going to be anxious when I have a baby, but I'll know that this anxiety is a little different than my normal, I'm worried about things. So those are what we would call anxious thoughts or scary thoughts. They're thoughts that you might be having, like, what if I trip and I fall down the stairs while I'm holding the baby or something that happens to the baby, that thought really distresses you. It scares you. And typically you're going to do everything in your power to avoid that happening. And those types of thoughts actually have no bearing on whether or not that would happen. That's more of a clue to you that you value safety and security. And so of course you're much more nervous and maybe your thoughts are more vivid about what could potentially go wrong. So that falls more in the realm of anxiety. What you're talking about when you talk about the tragedy in Massachusetts is around postpartum psychosis, which is much more rare, only occurring in 0.1 to 0.2 of pregnancies. And so percent of pregnancies. So it's a lot more rare, but it's, that's a medical emergency. And in those cases, the the thoughts are not what we would call um, ego dystonic. They are, they feel like true and they feel that this is what should happen. And it doesn't really feel, um, it's not the same. And so it's difficult to sometimes tease out. If you're wondering if it's one or the other, then definitely speak to a mental health professional be as honest as possible because right. That's a little bit different. That's much more uncommon, but Got it. Okay. Wants to take very seriously. So okay. So I actually thought that, and and for anyone who's listening that doesn't know, it was um, a mother who had three really young children, and I believe she hung the children, and then strangulation. Yes, strangled them, and then attempted to commit suicide herself. 
And she had really um, been very open about her postpartum depression and documented it on Facebook. And so it was really sad to read after because she's like, I'm doing better. I'm taking all these steps. And so I actually thought that was something that just it progressed, but that's its, its, its own rare, you know, thing where anyone actually kind of goes and acts on that. You know, I feel like for me, I don't think I had postpartum depression. Um, but what I would do a lot is I would see my baby sleeping so still and I'd have a panic moment that she was dead. And so, because she was so still and I would actually shake her and she you know, and like <laughs> she would come awake and like start screaming and it wasn't like violently shaking her, but I would just like would rouse her to make sure. And I would do that all the time because I'd look at her and I'd be like, it doesn't look like she's breathing because she's so still. And this was my, this was with my first. And I did it like a few times with my other kids, but I just, I just felt like, and that was in those first three weeks where you have no sleep, like your hormones are going crazy. The baby's in your room next to you. And you're kind of like awake, just staring at them. And you're like, are they breathing? What's happening? Um, so that was something that I was like, and every time my husband would be like, what are you doing? Because then, you know, we have this quiet, never wake a sleeping baby and they would start screaming. Um, and so I did like small little things like that. And I would imagine, like you said, like, I was always like, what if I got in a car accident? Like, what if I, I always imagine myself like dropping them down the stairs, things like that, but it did never like overtook my mind. It was just more like, I was like very like worried at first. And now, um, I just did, I I'm, and I'll talk about the company often, but I'm the founder of dreamland baby. And so I actually went to a photo shoot and I was, well, yeah, I have all my sleep sacks here. So, you know, but I was holding, we, we were doing itty bitty babies and they said, Oh, you know, we could hold one of the babies for a photo. And it was this two week old baby. And the baby was so tiny that I was like, oh my gosh, like I forgot how to even hold. Like I was so unsure of holding a baby. And it was like all those moments of like insecurity and not sure, like almost being a new mom flooded back to me because it's not my baby. Right. So I, I couldn't kind of manipulate them the way I wanted. And I, I was so still, and it, this was my youngest is almost five. So I've been, I'm a long way removed, but it was like almost, um, PTSD in a way where I'm like, Oh, I remember that like anxiety of those. It's a tiny baby. You don't know what to do, but yes. yeah, that, that was just my experience. Um, okay. Can you, I'm, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. So the next thing we were going to talk about is just how to planning, how to manage the mental health right ahead of time. And this is just as important as planning for childbirth. And we have actually talked about that on this podcast before you are designing a nursery and you are creating a registry for your, you know, all the baby gifts and you buy the car seat and you're checking the car seat into the car and you are really preparing in every way to bring baby home but you're not preparing for yourself or your mental health. Like we see that over and over and over. There's nothing that's being prepared for the mom. And another thing I can say as a mom of four, when you bring the baby home, everybody wants to come and see the baby. And then it's, it's you have this feeling. It's like, well, what about me? Like I'm, no one checks on me. Nobody's asking how I am. It's how was the baby? How, oh, how was the birth? People ask that, but nobody's saying, how are you right now? Are you sleeping? Are you resting? Can I take the baby so you can take a 30 minute nap? Like, I just feel like that it's not embedded yet into our culture that it's like, let's go care for the mom. It's just, let's visit the baby, bring a cute outfit and chat for a few minutes. And by the time I had my 
probably third and fourth, maybe even my second, I was like, I don't want visitors. Like I, I want to be left alone. I'm tired. I feel disgusting. Like I haven't showered. I have spit up on me. Um, but talk to us how we can really create a really, you know, for anyone who's pregnant right now, how you can create that plan before the birth to ensure that your mental health is in the right spot. That's a great question and a great point. Um, in general, I think that we culturally, you're right, especially here in the US, we really don't um, do as great of a job as possible at supporting new mothers. And so I think it all starts with even just realizing that. So ahead of time, incorporating your own personal care into your postpartum plan. So even, you know, building sort of a registry around what you need from your family and friends, because we know that support really does help as a buffer for anxiety and depression. And so if you have proper support and you have that in place in a very detailed way, so even down to, let's say, I know for when I had my third and fourth, my first two were in elementary school. And so it was helpful to have designated who's going to take them in the morning to car line, or maybe who's going to pick them up for me. So I don't have to lug all, all four in the car. And I'm, you know, newly, um, after, after childbirth. So even something as simple, sometimes we don't think about that because it sort of seems like, all right, we'll figure that out when we get there, or maybe, you know, we should be able to handle it all on our own. And that's just not the case. So I think just employing your village as early as you can, even during the pregnancy, even if it feels like, oh, I'm being extra. That's not, you really do want to try and cover all of your bases around what kind of support will I need? Um, So, I mean, that's more like logistical things, but I would also say sleep and really prioritizing how am I going to get sleep? We pretty much accept that new parents won't get any. And that's just kind of like a running joke. And of course you're going to be sleep deprived. But if you can make a serious plan with your partner, with people who you trust to be help, not visitors. So that's different to you and even kind of distinguishing who am I okay to see me looking ragged? Who is, who can see me with a spit up on my shirt? I can be fine, you know, with them. I trust them with the baby. And so if you can, if you have that, and I know that that is even a privilege, but if you have that resources, that support, then talking with them about how you're going to get four to five hours of uninterrupted sleep, which is very helpful in terms of managing mental health. And then I'd say the third thing really would be being aware and educating yourself around what the risk factors are for developing postpartum distress. and depression and anxiety. Because if you know that certain things like having experienced depression before or a lack of support or marital discord, any birth complications, previous infant loss, things like that, those can impact and make you more susceptible to experiencing perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. So you can almost even be on the lookout. Like this is something that I may struggle with, or, you know, I already know that some of these risk factors are there for me, And so I'm going to be really careful about maybe having a therapist on standby if I don't have one already, but kind of looking around who would I call if I do end up having to talk with someone, if I need to talk with someone. If you're on medications now for psychiatric reasons, even talking to your your prescriber about, so what would be the plan after, you know, on the specific medications that I'm taking, what's recommended, or if I resume my medication, what's recommended, but it's in a it's not, I think sometimes people think that that's planning for the worst or that yeah. somehow that's going to bring on like, like you're putting it into the universe, right. yeah. but yeah. it's not, it's not. Yeah. 
actually, research shows us that unrealistic expectations have a much more negative impact on your adjustment to motherhood because there's this gap between what you thought would happen and what did happen. Yes. But if you plan for this is the, you know, the realm of experiences that I might have, and it turns out you don't have any negative experiences, then you're great. You're pleasantly surprised and that's wonderful. But if you have planned it out, you're not completely shocked and blindsided by it. No, that, that makes total sense. And and I think about myself, I, I had completely unrealistic expectations. Like I thought I was just going to come home and I don't know why I thought this, but she, like my baby was going to be sleeping and we were going to be like just blissfully napping together and, you know, breastfeeding was going to be easy and nothing was going to hurt. And like, it just was going to be, yeah, you're going to have the baby and then just go about your day. Right. Cause I didn't have C-sections and I did think, oh, if I have a C-section, that's a surgery and I would need to heal or recover from a surgery, which I could understand that I had my tonsils taken out, right. That I was down and out for a week. So I thought, okay, that would be similar, but because I had a vaginal birth, I just thought I'm good. Like what, you know, it's like, it's there and then you move on, but there's so much that happens that I just think like in our stomachs and that area, you know, and I just think, and, and trauma is probably the right word. I mean, we are giving life to a baby, like pushing a baby out of our body that has been there for nine months. It's really, I mean, it's the craziest thing ever. If you really take a step back and think about <laughs> it, but it's, you know, you were doing something for nine months. And I think the, it's now again, becoming more common for people to say you're well, first off, you're never going to get, you never lost your body. You're never going to get your body back. Your body changes and evolves after you go into motherhood, but that you can kind of reasonably think after nine months, you could be back to a level state of emotions, physically, you know, mentally, and kind of all that. Do you ever talk to your patients about what, I don't want to say recovery from having a baby, but this, this post period, like how long things should subside like how long if you have anxiety like that the baby blues like when should they go away and when should sleep start and when should you feel like yourself again like is there a timeline or is it really just different for everybody uh, it's both and um, yeah. so there is, there is a, a somewhat of a timeline around anywhere in that first few days to the first week, two weeks, yes, there's going to be a lot of fluctuations. It's very normative to feel yeah. your mood kind of all over the place. And that falls under that baby blues time period. Right. But if it's happening, if it's after that, then I say it's it really is more dependent on each particular person, how high your level of distress is, how much support do you have? Because that's going to determine as well how quickly you can recover. Um, and then what's your access to other resources? I mean, even to get into like therapy and healthcare and just in general. Yeah. So all of that would kind of determine as well. But there really is no prescribed limit to how long each person will will struggle with this or how quickly that they will recover. I yeah. think the thing too is if you if you ascribe to that and you feel that I should be over this by now or I shouldn't be this affected by it, I can say that that makes it take longer for you to recover because now you're battling shame and guilt on right. top of the distress that you are already feeling. So really yeah. the, the best thing is to get help as soon as possible because yeah. that's when the recovery starts. If the recovery starts sooner, then yes, it's going to finish sooner. But yeah. sometimes if you're just hoping that it goes away on its own, or you're just hoping that it's not even there, yeah. then years can pass by and, and you can still mm. be struggling with some of this because it was never really addressed. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's not like, you know, after a year, this could go away. Like people can have postpartum depression and it can go on. I mean, potentially indefinitely if they don't get some kind of treatment. Is that right? 
Right. And so technically in the, in the diagnostic and statistical manual that we use to diagnose clinical disorders with major depressive disorder, um, you could, there's a specifier for if there's a peripartum onset. And so this is if it started uh, within four weeks after the birth. So it might have, it starts there, but it can go on. If it's untreated, it's just kind of Wow. Ongoing. I mean, okay, that's, that's a really important thing to know, because I, I do think a lot of people think like, it'll just go away. It'll go away on its own. Like, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's just, now I'm getting four months out and six months out and I'm post, I'm not really like that post newborn anymore, but that's a very, I didn't know that that's really important. And it can, so I don't yeah. want to say it can, it okay, can okay. be yes, better yes. on its own, but it doesn't, it, that's not a guarantee. So you also could still be struggling later from that same postpartum initial episode. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Two, two thoughts that were coming in my mind, twins. So a lot of people are doing IVF now. A lot of people are having twins. Is there any correlation between doing things like IVF and having twins for a higher risk of postpartum depression? And the other one I was thinking of is people who have babies really close. Like my first two kids are 14 months apart. I was pregnant when my daughter was only three months old. That's when I got pregnant. And so I was still breastfeeding her while I was pregnant, you know, so with the twin factor or really close, those like Irish twins, is there any additional kind of risk people should think about or assess? I don't have the specific numbers on that. I would lump that in though, with just in general, if you're having a higher level of stress, a higher level of life transitions and things like that. And if you've experienced infertility in the past, sometimes that is a risk factor. If your baby need a NICU stay, which sometimes with multiples, you end up having different types of complications that can arise. So those things, the sort of the stressful aspects of those things can add on as risk factors. But I don't recall any specific numbers that specifically twins or specifically that would close age um, increase your risk. It's just more so the stress around the complications that can arise from those things. Yeah. Gosh, this is all such amazing information, Dr. Angel. Thank you for sharing this with us today. For anyone who's listening and wants to find you, wants to follow you, wants to work with you, can you tell us all the places where you are? Absolutely. So my website is www.cfmmh.com. That's my therapy practice. And so if you live in Florida and you want to work with me as a therapist individually, then that's where you would contact me. I'm also on Instagram a lot at Dr. Angel Montfort. Um, and so I post content there a lot around some of the things that you and I just spoke about, but also am right now developing an app to help parents create sort of this plan that we just discussed. So if you follow me there, then I'm going to be sending out invites and also information about that over the next few weeks. Yeah. yeah, that's super exciting. And we will put this all in the show notes. Dr. Angel, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure.